Okay, so let's dive in. Today we're going to continue our series on the way of Jesus, the life that Jesus lived, and also the life that he's inviting us into. And last week we talked about Jesus, the light of the world, which um, is such a cliche statement, but holds so much revelatory power. So if you haven't heard that message yet, I really highly encourage you. You can catch all of our sermons on our Bethel OKC podcast, which is available on pretty much all podcast platforms, so you can catch it there. But I love the idea that when we look at the person of Jesus, we look not only at who he is, but who he invites us to become. Because we are being consistently made into the likeness of him. We're, being, we're already made in his image, and we're being refined into a better, more accurate picture of that image. And so that's what this series is all about, just helping us um, lock in on where he wants to build in our lives. So today we're going to look at Jesus, the miracle worker. And I'm sure you can already tell, I'm going to telegraph for you where we're going, that you are also invited in to work miracles. And I want to kind of talk about that this morning. So let's go to John chapter 5. There's tons of miracle stories in the Bible, and I'm just going to highlight two today. The first one is at John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and uh, I am reading out of the NIV. And so this is what it says. Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Interestingly enough, archaeologists have actually found this pool, and it did have five little porch things around. It was pretty interesting. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there and had been invalid had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for such a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, I'm trying to get in and someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. A couple interesting things to note about this story. Number one, the pool of Bethesda, and when they found it, it's actually like the size of a football field. It's more like a pond. I was really surprised. I pictured like a fountain at the mall, and you just kind of lop yourself in there if you were laying and you couldn't walk. No, this is like a pond, and it's 20 feet deep. That's deep. <laughs> so when we, we actually went there to the excavated site, and I'm staring in this hole, and all I can think about is, if you're lame your whole life, did you ever learn to swim? And you're going to throw yourself in this water, and you might not come out. And I asked the tour guide, were there people that were killed? He said, yeah, there were people that would go in there and couldn't swim. But a lot of people could swim, but that, would, that was an, a part of the reality. And your translation may say that uh, in this story that there was an angel that would come and stir the waters. Are you familiar with this? And the tour guide that was there said, actually, it wasn't an angel like you and I would assume an angel, like Michael, you know, Gabriel, an angel that's in the Bible. This was actually a fable that they believed. And uh, there are some in the archaeological world in this site, they did find some markings that would indicate that there was some pagan ritual as well connected to this pool. And so essentially, this was a fable. This was an old wives' tale that the waters would be stirred and whoever was the first in the water would be healed. Now think about it like this, okay? You have a multitude of disabled people lying around the edge of a pond. And something happens to make the waters move. Maybe it was a hot spring, maybe it was the wind, whatever. And all these people hurl themselves into the water at the same time. And then one is going to be healed. This doesn't sound like God, does it? 
because it wasn't God that was doing this. And I just think this story is so fascinating to me. Okay, so Jesus walks in. There's all these people here, and he goes up to one, and he says, do you want to get well? I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus, I assume all of these people want to get well. That's why they're there. That's why they're laying at the pool. I mean, think about it. There's no modern medicine, right? This is the best hope a lot of them have is to try to get in the water first. And so I'm thinking, Jesus, what are you thinking? You walk into this crowd of all these desperate people and you pick one and he walks up to him and he just asks, do you want to get well? He's no assumption there. And the guy says, yes. Actually, he doesn't even really say yes. He complains, right? He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool. He complains. I mean, I guess I could get well if I could get in first. I keep trying. I get wet. I don't get healed. And Jesus gets at it. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk in verse 8. And this is what is interesting. So verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Oh, so tone deaf, right? You've been an invalid for 38 years. Never broken this law because you can't carry your mat. At the one time, (laughs) come on. just think the irony is comical probably why God included it in there. Uh, He says, but he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. Now, Jesus knows all the laws, right? So why would Jesus tell him to break a command? Lots of questions in this story. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Okay, so many things about this story, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to leave some questions in your mind. So if your interest is piqued, go ask the Holy Spirit. He will help you. But what I find really interesting, a couple of things. Number one, Jesus only heals one of them. Why? There's a multitude with great need, and the miracle worker himself only heals one of them. This is really fascinating to me. Second question that I have majorly. Jesus tells the guy, Go pick up your mat and walk. In other words, you're going to get in trouble. I'm going to make you do something that's going to make you get in trouble, that's going to expose the testimony. Okay? Third thing I find really interesting. See, Jesus says, verse 14, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So a lot of us want to believe there's no spiritual connection to our actions, right? We just want to believe that. It makes us feel better. Look, I can do whatever I want may have consequences for other people, but what's happening in my physical body is definitely not connected to my actions. If you're a lifetime smoker, this is not a shameful thing. It's just, it's a fact. If you're a lifetime smoker, you're going to have lung challenges. That's how it works, right? And so this would be like a lifetime smoker saying, my lung damage cannot possibly be because of something I did. Well, we all know, no, it can, and it is. There is a spiritual connection between our actions and what happens in our body. But as we see in other stories, it's not the only connection. So when we begin to examine the life of the miracle worker, we have to come front and center with the dichotomy that exists in the Bible. Is that okay with you to explore that? 
I don't know about you, but this is so aggravating to me that Jesus holds all the power and doesn't shoot it in the same direction every time. It's almost like trying to grab, I don't know, did you post that video on Facebook of Grace in the Light the other day? We were sitting at dinner and Eli had his phone and the phone was reflecting a light on the wall. And Grace, without saying anything, my four-year-old jumps up and starts grabbing at the wall. And we're like, what is going on? And she's like a little cat trying to get the light. And, she, and Eli didn't know he was moving it. She didn't know where it was happening, but she's just like, get the light, get the light, get the light. And we took this video. It was so cute. She just, just went on for a long time. That's to me what it's like when we're trying to nail down the miracle worker to perform a miracle that we want him to perform. <laughs> I know it's in you, Jesus. Why isn't it coming out? And why is it coming out like that? No, no, no. I wanted it to come out like this. This isn't about my sin. No, 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 Lord. This is about your grace. And sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's one. Sometimes it's the other. So if we're going to look at the miracle worker, we have to look at the frustration that comes in his unpredictable nature. The one thing you can bank on is that God is unpredictable. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that sameness never looks the same to our human eyes. So we are going to get into how do you actually see God perform a miracle but I want us to just sit in for a moment in the frustration that also exists when we talk about miracles. Can you imagine what it would be like for the others in the multitude that didn't get healed that day? We don't know. Did they get healed later? Did they get to come back around and find Jesus and was, he was, you know, in the mood where he healed the whole town? <laughs> there's, there's, there's those stories in the Bible where every single person prayed for got exactly what they needed. But on this day, in John chapter 5, only one. What'd you say? Maybe. We don't know, right? How interesting. So Jesus, the miracle worker, he makes this connection that sometimes there's things in our life that are causing our need for a miracle. Sometimes not. And the way I say it like this is because I think we need to be okay with understanding that there are reasons behind what happens, but there's not always a reason behind what happens. Does this make sense? So in Grant and I's journey, we've been studying healing and miracles for about probably 12 years now or so, and 10 years for sure. And we've learned from a lot of different ministries. And some ministries will tell you there is always a spiritual connection behind why you're sick. Always. Some ministries will tell you there's always a demonic reason behind why you're sick, and they'll have scriptures that point that out. Some will tell you it has nothing to do with the person. It has to do with the prayers, the, the person who's praying their faith. That's all that it takes to bring a healing, and everything in between. And I would just say to you, at some level, it's all true. The way that we've been able to make peace with this kind of thing is to recognize that the life of the kingdom is like a tool belt, and there's different tools that do certain jobs. Now, I'm not a woodworker, so I'm not even going to try to use these terms. But I know what a screwdriver is. And I know there's a difference between a Phillips head and a flathead screwdriver. We all probably know that to some degree, right? And if you need a Phillips head, a flathead is not going to do the same job and vice versa. That's what it's like in the kingdom. Jesus, as the miracle worker, knows what has brought about this need in your life, and he knows exactly what tool to stick into that hole to turn about to bring the kingdom of heaven. Our job, if we're going to be like him, is to learn how to listen to who God is, hear what he's saying, and pick out the tool that he's saying to use. It can't always be that there's a sin. It can't always be that there's never a sin. Does this make sense? 
We're doing kind of an equipping today. All right, flip over one chapter to John chapter 6. We're going to look at a different type of miracle. This is one of my favorite stories. Jesus feeding the 5,000. John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy the bread for these people to eat? How many of you know that when Jesus asks a question, he doesn't actually, he already knows the answer. You know this? It'll save you a lot of agony when the Lord asks you a question to just respond. Well, what are you trying to say, Lord? <laughs> right? Oh, oh, how many times I've, I've been like, well, God, he was trying to, and then God's like, I already know. I'm like, right, 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 right. Let me, let me just sit in the awkwardness of this question and let it do what, what you want it to do. So he asked Peter a question, Philip a question, excuse me. And then it says, verse 6, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it will take more than a half year wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of, disciples, of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus says, have the people sit down, and then most of you guys know what happens. He gathered up these five loaves and these two fish. We're talking about rolls. They're not loaves. They're actually like rolls and two little sardine-type fish. And he lifted them up to heaven. He blessed them, and he began to break them. And as he would break them, it was never depleted. There was this replenishment thing that started happening in this miracle where there was enough food to feed this massive crowd. Jesus, the miracle worker. We're going to come back to that in a second. Just a few verses later in verse 16 is where we get this crazy story, uh, chapter 6, verse 16, where Jesus walks on the water. Again, a miracle, something that cannot be done that Jesus did. So if we look at John 14, I know we're kind of bebopping all around, but if we go to John 14, Jesus makes this statement. It's an invitation for you and I. It's a promise, and I want you to listen to it from that vein. John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. If you believe in me, you will do what I've been doing. What has he been doing? He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He healed the invalid. He healed a boy right before that. He was healing other people in towns. He was, he was doing incredible things. And his statement is a fact. If you believe in me, you will do this and then some. And then some. So my question to you is, why do we not enter into that? Why is that so hard to believe? What is it about life that we begin to say, that must be for someone else, not for me? We actually, like, we, we buck the, the onus. Is that, do you know what I mean by that? It's like, like, we reject the ownership factor in that. I believe in you, Lord, but I think you were probably saying that to your disciples or to your pastors or surely not to me, God. I'm in school. How am I supposed to work these miracles? Maybe in the elementary lunchroom, somebody has a Lunchable, blesses it, and everybody gets food that day. Who knows, right? You're going to do these things and more. So Jesus, as a miracle worker, what I think is interesting is at the end of John 21, the end of the book of John, the last verse, 25, 
It says, and Jesus did many other things as well. I don't know if you're familiar with this verse. It ends by basically saying, look, he did so many things we could not possibly bottle them into one book. It would take all the books in the world to describe. And I think what John is, is, is planting in us and what God is planting in us in that verse today is for us to recognize there are so many things God can do in this life through you. If you want to. If you believe. And I think at some level what we are experiencing, even as we dove in in the What is Church series, we're experiencing this disconnect from how to see that actually happen. Because Jesus oversimplifies this. He does this with everything. We love you, God, but it's so hard to understand the simplicity of your statements sometimes. He goes, look, if you believe in me, let's just read it again, John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. So I guess the real question is, do we actually believe him? When we go up to pray for someone, do we actually believe that that's what he said? Jesus, the miracle worker, he's invited us to work miracles with him, to do it with him. And I want to talk about that for a second. There's a couple of things I think we have to note. The first and foremost is that anytime Jesus does anything, it's not about you. It's not about you. This is, I think, one of the most, it's like a pet peeve of mine. It's one of the most frustrating things in the charismatic world of Christianity where those who are trying to do this stuff, trying to, you know, be bold and go out there and do it. And it's like there is this subtle belief that if I can work a miracle through the power of Jesus, Jesus must be validating me as a person. And if I can't work that miracle, Jesus must not be validating me with a person. That is so wrong. Can we just acknowledge that? It is so wrong. If Jesus worked a miracle through you, praise God that you put out your hand that he could stick his hand into. Don't you dare inflate your own ego that it had anything to do with you. All he needs is someone who believes him. That's what it says, right? And in the same... Uh, okay, let's just get real. Let's just get real, okay? So uh, I, I read a book this, this year called The Church Called Tove, T-O-V. It's an excellent book talking about healthy church life, specifically related to all of the sexual exploitation that's happened in church life over the last couple of years that's been exposed. Now, we know this has been going on much longer. We all know that. But it's, it really highlights a couple of the larger situations, the bigger-named people that this has happened with. And one of the things that comes up all the time is, let's just take like Ravi Zacharias, for example, who passed away this last year. Everybody's honoring him. And once he's dead, all these people start coming out with irrefutable proof that he was not who we thought he was. And he had this profound message of grace. Which is ridiculous. And here he is giving this heaven-bathed revelation of scripture while his life is deplorable. Does his life dampen the message that he preached? Here's where it gets really hard. No. Because the message, God preaches the message irregardless of the mouth it comes out of. This is why character is so important. Because from a leadership standpoint, we don't ever want to advance someone because because they have a message when their character is not right. Because the message will always be from heaven. 
Like if it's, if it's doing its work, it's bearing good fruit, it is Jesus himself speaking through a very, very broken person. Does this make sense? So what happens is we have begun to glorify the person and have told ourselves because we're not seeing that kind of miracle, the validation must be on them. All the while, we know their personal life is garbage, but we want the miracle that comes from them so badly that we close our eyes to the character. And do you see what I'm saying? And all of this would come so, Jesus just lays it bare. Whoever believes in me can do this. Whoever believes in me can do this. Does he say, whoever believes in me that I have chosen from birth that I have loved? Nope. Does he say, whoever believes in me that has great character only and who always does the right thing, then I will? No. Ooh, Lord, we wish he would, but no, he doesn't. He just says, whoever believes in me, the sinner and the saint. I think if we're going to be a healthy, Holy Spirit-filled church, we have to recognize the Holy Spirit will move through whoever has the guts to stick their hands out. And the Holy Spirit is not endorsing that person. He's endorsing himself because his heart is so desperate to heal and release miracles and bring breakthrough that he will use whoever's hand because those who have better character typically count themselves out and don't even try. Just think about it, guys. We could overturn this whole, this whole structure if those with better character would try, wouldn't count themselves out. Then all of a sudden, everybody's going, well, I don't think it has anything to do with you, in fact. When I have conversations with people and they tell me about how exhilarating it is to see someone be healed, it is. It is exhilarating. It's, it's, it's intoxicating. Can we just say that? Because something supernatural happened before your very eyes. And, and typically my response is this, wow, it's beautiful. That had nothing to do with you. Just because I want them to remember, right? <laughs> Don't go chasing that thing because that will make you upside down. Because whoever believes can do it. So it's not about you. It is all about him. It is all about him. You can release a healing on your worst day. You cannot release a healing on your best day. Why? Because it's Jesus that's the miracle worker moving through you. All he's looking for is a willing, surrendered heart. Amen? When we begin to remove ourselves from the picture, when we begin to see ourselves as a conduit, look, look I don't know why, I just know it's true. Jesus chose to use people. So we can't circumvent that. Now, I do know God has, he has the ability to do whatever he wants to do. In the Muslim world, Throughout the 90s, I'm sure beyond that as well, but throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, there was a big movement, the 1040 window movement. I don't know if you're familiar. Our church in Texas at the time, most of us had our watches set to beep an alarm at 1040 a.m., 1040 p.m. to pray, God, would you move in the Muslim world, the 1040 window on the longitude and latitude. God, would you move in the Muslim world? God, would you break through? God, would you, because they had just so few believers, and they kill them once they're there, so not a good, not a good setup. And um, Grant and I were actually in uh, Jordan, uh, when was this, 13 years ago, and we were with some long-term missionaries that were there that had been there in, in the Middle East for a decade, never seen one salvation, actively building relationships for over 10 years, never seen one salvation. We're talking about heroes of the faith to stand and continue to pray and contend and believe for a nation that had just completely rejected the gospel. 
and while we were there, it had nothing to do with us. While we were there, um, they were doing a basketball outreach with some, some young guys, and one of the team members uh, that lives over there led this young guy to the Lord. He was 15 years old. Their first salvation in over a decade. And we just had the privilege to just be in the room listening to them weep, weep. We got one God. We got one And that one turned into a raging Niagara Falls waterfall. And I know it wasn't just their particular movement. I know there were several other ministries that were a part of this. But when the Arab Spring happened, it's because underground, so many people were coming to know Jesus that it overturned their government for a time. If you remember that, what happened in uh, Tunisia and in that area. And... um, It was wild to know the people who were living there at the time, who were ministering, who were raising up disciples. And what I think is amazing is that as much as it required their feet on the ground to bring prayer, to shed tears, to to do all the things the Bible tells us to do, a lot of the people who got saved got saved because they actually had dreams of a man in white. You can look this up online. This was prolific prolific. Thousands of people would have a dream of a man clothed in white interacting with them. It was Jesus. They would somehow get saved in their dreams. It would, it would make them like zombies for a couple of days trying to figure out who was that. They would end up getting connected to a believer through the work of the angelic, I'm guessing. And then the believer would be able to tell them, look, the man in white is Jesus. He is God. He's, he's not just a prophet. He is God. They would give their lives to the Lord. And this movement swept the Arab world. So we know that God can do whatever he wants to do. If he wants to save someone in their sleep, he can do that. But what he's chosen to do, first and foremost, is to use his people as his body. That means we have to participate. Amen? Okay, so it's not about us. The second thing that we see, and the reason why I picked these particular stories, is because Jesus, as a miracle worker, is existing. I know I've said this to you guys before. He is existing outside of the constructs that you and I live under. We are bound by time. The sun goes up, the sun goes down, it's a new day. We're bound by that. God is not bound by time. Time, he's outside of the realm of time. We are bound by the law of gravity. What goes up comes down. God is not bound by that. We are bound by the law of sowing and reaping. We're bound by the law of with the measure you judge, you will be judged. We don't want to be bound by that law, but we are. But Jesus is not. He lives outside of these things. So when he begins to work miracles, what he's doing is he's bringing his reality into our reality. Does this make sense? It's like, think about it like this. In Genesis, and I know I talk about this all the time, but it's just so profound. I don't think I'll ever get bored with the creation story. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. Then he created the people and he put the tree in the middle. He said, don't eat of it because you will die. Heaven was created before death was a reality. We were not supposed to die. So why was heaven created? It wasn't an end-time destination. It was a present-time place to draw from. Jesus says this. You'll be with me where I am. Where was he? He's seated in heavenly places. Do you guys make, does this make sense? So how do we work miracles? We somehow get connected to Jesus who exists outside of the construct where a miracle can't happen on its own, and we pull heaven to earth for his sake. Amen? 
I don't know about you, but that every time I begin to just think about that and meditate on that, my mind just is like, Whoa. So, Lord, are you trying to tell me that every problem I have, you have a solution for that actually exists outside of the realm I can even comprehend? So, Lord, are you telling me the things I'm contending for, the things I'm asking for, they actually exist out there, and my job is not to keep begging on my face, but to somehow reach my arm out so that you can release it? Lord, are you telling me that the need I'm faced with right now, you have a solution for? And the current solution might be to build patience and endurance. Or the current solution might be to, to somehow connect in a different way so that the king of glory can come in. In our training school, in the School of Discipleship last fall, one of the teachers was talking about uh, this, this testimony. It was such a powerful testimony. We've kind of used that model, and we've seen some testimonies happen from it. It's been cool. And he was talking about how the door in heaven, in Revelation 1 through 4, the door in heaven is now propped open. Or maybe we could just say God removed it. When the cross happened, when the resurrection happened, it's open. Heaven is open. And so when, when Jesus is knocking, he's not knocking on the door of heaven. He's knocking on the door of our heart that we close and so if we can open our door and heaven's door is already open, we can somehow get to that place that exists outside. Does this make sense? And so he said, I was praying for this woman and she had something wrong with her body. I can't remember all the details of the story, but she needed physical healing. And he said, I just said, God, we thank you that the door of heaven is open right now. And Lord, would you open the door on the earth over her life and just begin to pour out your blessings? She was healed. They didn't even call up her condition, didn't speak to it. She was just healed because they came into alignment with the kingdom of God. Sometimes I wonder, are we not seeing this John 14, 12 promise because we're not asking for it? Because we're just kind of passively saying, you know, it's kind of like um, Isaiah where he says, Lord, here I am, send me. But we don't make a plan after that. Just kind of, I'm here, Lord. You know where I am. Call me up. Call me up when you're ready. But we don't walk up to someone and say, do you have anything I can pray for you for? I think what God is inviting us into is to actually ask him. What'd you say? You do. Yes, Garland does. Garland does. Garland has hands of fire. He's like Iron Man. Point me where my, where the life of heaven should shoot out. (laughs) Do we ask for it, though? So I want to get really practical in a moment, but I just want to tell you a story. The first healing I ever saw with my own, my own hands that nobody else was around for. Have you ever been in a group setting where somebody gets healed, and you're like, yes, do I count that as something I saw because I was a part of it, but I don't know whose hands the power came through? And we get weird about that. Don't do that, but we do do that. And, uh, and so I had been in a bunch of settings and seen a lot of healings that I was just sort of like a supporter prayer for, you know what I'm talking about? Like there's someone else leading it and that's good. We need like one, it's a little confusing when we're all trying to like lead at the same time. And so I was in a, on a mission trip in Mexico and, uh, I was, I don't know, probably 20, 21 years old. And I felt like God told me to go pray for this person, person in the worship time. I didn't know them. And so I said, Hey, can I, I didn't, I didn't, I had nothing else besides go pray for them. So I said, hey, my name's Rachel. You guys know it gets real awkward after that uh, in my life. And uh, I don't know what happens, but all my people skills just vanish. And I, 
It's bad. So um, <laughs> I was trying to keep it brief to save my dignity. And I said, I'm Rachel. Felt like God told me to pray for you. Is there anything that you need prayer for? And they, they looked at me and they said, yes. I actually have this pounding headache right here. Could you pray for that? And I thought, oh, Lord. I'm looking around. Anybody I know with a healing gifting? Because this is going to get real awkward. I said, sure. Faked it. I said, can I put my hand on your head? They said, yep, put my hand on, my he- on their head. And I was like, oh, God, if you love me at all, you will show up in this moment. That's what I prayed inside. Outside, I prayed, Lord, would you touch this person? So I prayed for like three minutes because I didn't have the guts to open my eyes, and I didn't have the guts to ask if anything had happened because I was just so nervous. It was just the two of us. And um, after, a, like, I had prayed way too long. It was like, like close it up, you know. I, I said, okay. And I stepped back, and I just, I like, I could, I just wanted to know so bad. I said, "Did you, did, I don't, do you feel any better?" Thinking they're gonna say no, and uh, she goes, "Yeah, the second you put your hand on my head, I was totally healed." Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> and I was like, so I just wasted three of the most awkward moments, minutes of my life, just begging God while she's just like, I'm healed. Why didn't she just go, wow, look, I'm healed. Amazing. I don't know. We're, we're all insecure people. And so I walked away and I'm going, look at these hands. (laughs) Who needs a miracle? (laughs) No, I didn't do that. Actually. I was like, look at these hands. What the heck just happened? Put them in my pockets, you know, put my light under a bushel. Uh, because I thought it was about me, right? Because honestly, I thought, if I can heal someone, if someone, let me put it this way, if someone gets healed when I pray for them, then that must mean I have a healing gifting, which must mean I have to do something about it. And like, I, I don't want to end there, so I'm not even going to try. I don't, does anybody else relate to that? You're like, look, I know where this is going. If I see a couple people healed, she's going to make me get up there to pray for more, and I'm not doing that, okay, Lord? Yes, I know I saw that miracle, but I'm not doing that. So I was in a, some of you guys have heard this story before. I was in a training school time. Uh, this is all around the same two, three-year window. And um, we had this guy, Steve Nichols. He was a vineyard pastor come. And he was equipping our school on how to do the five-step healing model, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. And, uh, and so he had everybody get around people and, and praying over them. And, and, you know, he was doing this model where he says, look, in the Bible, this is true, in the Bible, Jesus never prays for anybody to get healed. He commands their healing, which sounds beautiful when Jesus is doing it. Does not sound beautiful when it's your mouth and your words, right? And so he would get, we'd be praying for people, and he goes, stop praying, just speak it. Yes, sir. So I got assigned to my former roommate who was uh, an athlete. She was a marathon runner. She'd been a soccer player, and she had something wrong with her hips where her hip would literally pop out of alignment. It was weird. And she'd have to go to the physical therapist for an hour while they would, like, rotate her hip for her to bring it back into alignment. It was a mess. She'd had this problem for several years. She wore this, like, big Velcro band around her waist, around her hips to lock it into place. I mean, it was awful. And so my, my other friend and I get assigned to her, you know, no, like, small, small beginnings, right? I saw the headache, so now I'm moving on to, like, hip issues. I don't know. So... Um, so my friend and I, the guy comes up and he says, so, so we can see one of her legs is shorter than the other. And she knew that because this is part of her physical therapy was measuring them out. And that's how they would know when they got her hip in the right spot. It was, she wasn't born with different length legs. They would just happen because of the hip. You guys catching? So my friend Emily and I were like, um, we're like looking at each other. And he goes, so one of you guys needs to speak to her leg. 
And I'm like, should we rock, paper, scissors? And Emily goes, sounds good to me. So we rock, paper, scissors. She lost. So she looks at me and she goes, which part of the leg do we speak to? I said, I, I don't know. What is this? My dad's a doctor. My mom's a nurse. Like, let's put you on a bed with a crinkly paper and I can, like, assess you that way. I don't know how to do this speak to you stuff. And so she goes, <laughs> she, put her foot, she put her face at my friend's kneecap. <laughs> it was so awkward and so funny. And she goes, leg, grow. Neither one of us had an ounce of faith anything was going to happen. Whoop, the leg comes right out. And we both were like. <laughs> My former roommate is like. Because I've actually had this happen to me, too. You can actually feel it. It feels like the surge of energy. And my, my roommate's going, that takes, she just can't get off. That takes an hour. I do this an hour every single week. That happened in a second. And my friend Emily and I are like, I guess we picked the right spot of the leg to speak to. It would have been real awkward to talk into her hip. And so as we're praying about, I mean, as we're like, we're doing continual ministry, and, and here was the premise, and this is my challenge to you. The premise is always, the, Jesus says, only do what you see the Father doing, right? I only do what I see the Father doing. So I might think I know what you need prayer for, but the Father is the one who really knows. He's the one directing Jesus to walk in and out of all these places and release these miracles. And so, the, so, so we're just like, Father, is there anything else you want to pray? And I see this picture of like rods coming down around her hip joint, and they locked like a jail cell. And I heard a clink in my ear, not, not audibly, but in my spirit, uh, clink around it. And so I said, I guess I'll just pray that. So I said, Father, would you send like rods or something to lock this hip into motion? My, my roommate, my former roommate's eyes bug out. She goes, I just felt something that felt like steel go through my hip and it felt like they clinked at the bottom. I didn't say that part. And I was like, what? And I, I don't know to this day, but for several years after, she'd never had a problem with her hip again. This is crazy. So then I moved on, and uh, I'm going to tell you two more stories. And um, I was praying for a, a girl in our well, – I had been a part of praying for someone with scoliosis, and they were healed. So I don't know, you know, again, it really doesn't matter whose prayer it is, so we're going to move past that because that's, that's not relevant. But um, she was healed. And so I'm going, wow, I want to see that more. I want to see scoliosis healed. I've seen one. Let's apply that testimony, right? Because the, the Bible tells us the word of our testimony is a prophetic word. If he's done it once, he will do it again, okay? And so I'm using that to operate. And so we ended up in this time period seeing, I think, four or five different people with scoliosis completely healed. One of them was the weirdest healing I've ever seen. Was We were in a discipleship group, me and three other girls, and we were just doing discipleship that night, and she was talking about how her back was hurting. I said, you know what? I've been watching people with scoliosis healed. Can we just pray and try? She's like, yeah, sure. So she bent over on the ottoman. You can see a big S-curve on her back. And we all laid hands on her, and there was an audible crack. And, her, and everybody who had her hands on her back saw her spine click into motion, like click correct. And it was totally healed and set straight. <laughs> what? I wish I could say I was like, praise Jesus. I was just freaked out. Because when that happened, the curtain moved too. So it was like a real weird experience. I do think there was some stuff that was booted out when Jesus came in and healed in the way that it happened in the, John, the first story we read. There was some, some darkness connected to that that was removed. And I'm sitting here going, Jesus, there's nothing you can't do if I would just believe you. 
If I would just believe that you want to move in this person's life, irregardless of what I'm dealing with, irregardless of my own insecurities, of my own frustrations, of my own arrogance, of my own pride, of my own timidity, whatever the case may be, you want to do something if I would just believe you. So at our house church a couple nights, a couple weeks ago, um, you guys remember two Sundays ago, there were two ladies that had their necks healed. Remember that? So one of them was at the house church the following uh, Wednesday on the north side of town. And I said, hey, how's your neck doing? And she said, well, actually, it's been bothering me again. Well, somebody else next to her said, she has scoliosis. That's what causes, that's, she, she has scoliosis. And I said, oh, that's what's causing your neck pain. She said, you think so? I'm like, yes, your spine is out of alignment. It's causing neck pain. I said, could we pray for it again? She said, yeah, we were actually, those of you that are there, I'm like, hey, guys, we're going to go. And then she says, I'm like, well, I guess we'll stay. Let's see what happens. And so we prayed, and um, her neck was healed. But her back didn't really have anything happen. We prayed several more times and uh, just began to ask the Father, what are you saying? Just opened it up to the room and said, guys, just pray what you feel the Father is saying. Just ask him and just pray that. Simple as that. And she was healed. And I haven't said anything about it yet because I wanted to see, was it like a muscle release healing or was it like your back is set straight? So I reached out yesterday. It's been about a week and a half. I said, uh, I, I was like, hey, give me an update. And the update is that she's had no issues. That's a healing, right? That's a miracle. That's a miracle when I'm thinking I want to go home. That's a miracle when the room is going, is she going to get healed or not? I'm not really sure. All we have to do, and, and I know I'm oversimplifying this, but all we have to do is believe he wants to do it. Believe he wants to do it. So let's just talk really practically for a second, and then we're just going to take some time to pray over whoever has a need. <clears throat> we, we like to use this model we call the five-step prayer model because it's really simple. There are a bunch of ways you can do this. You can use the open the heaven door model that I just shared with you guys a minute ago where you really are just asking, Lord, open the door over their heart. We know we're acknowledging the door in heaven is open. Lord, would you rain down from heaven? That's a, a option. It's a model. You can just pray and ask the Lord, God, would you release healing over this person? But what we have to remember is that Jesus has given us permission. He has given us the challenge to speak and declare healing, to use our voice as his voice. Does this make sense? So as awkward as it sounds, we can walk up to someone and say, neck, be healed, and expect that the sound of our voice carries the frequency of heaven, and it will make the neck come in line. I know this sounds so weird. I hear myself. For those of you guys that have never, this is new to you, I get it. But this is how the kingdom of heaven works. Everything on the earth was created through sound. God actually spoke. Read the book. He spoke every single thing into being. So we don't have to beg him. We don't have to wring our hands. We don't have to, you know, make ourselves feel worthless so that we can beg that maybe we could be beneficial in God's eyes where he might heal us. It doesn't work like that. We operate under the understanding that he wants to heal. The bulk of his ministry was to heal. Psalm, what is it? Psalm 100, I think. Psalm, one of the Psalms says um, that he heals all of our diseases. Another place in the Bible that he's not willing for anybody to perish. What does this mean? This means the default mood of God is I'm on it. Let's heal it. That's the default mood. If it doesn't get healed, then we kind of go into, okay, is there something causing a block to that healing? Or is there something God is doing in this moment? God never creates sickness. He never creates deformities. He never creates, that's not him. Sometimes it's the enemy, and sometimes it's just the fall of life and how things happen. I don't believe every single, dark, every single sickness is created by a demon. 
But we do know that none of it was created by God. So suffering in the kingdom of God is not suffering with sickness. Suffering in the kingdom of God has nothing to do with physical ailment. Otherwise, why would you pray to be healed? Would make no sense, right? So the five-step prayer model that we really like to use, it basically goes like this. The interview is step number one. Just ask them, what's going on with you? Step number two is you pray. Oh, man, I need to, I forgot to get the paper out in front of me. They're simple steps. I may not get to all five, but here's the gist. Wow, I should have looked it up. Uh, can you look it up real quick? They're so simple. You're going to interview, you're going to pray, speak healing, command healing, however the Lord leads. Then you're going to ask. That's, that's part of the process is you follow up. This is why you guys know this. If you've been here before and we've done prayer time, you know. Then we stop and say, how is it? <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, is it any better? Why are we asking that? Because we want to see, has the Holy Spirit begun to move? If there's motion happening in the healing, the Holy Spirit has begun to move. If there's nothing happening yet, then we need to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to show up in that place to increase his presence, that kind of thing. Does this make sense? So when we're simplifying, how do you pray for someone? When you're interacting with someone and you're asking them, you know, what's going on in your life? And they're saying, I have all this pain in my neck. Then what do you, how, do you, how does this look like practically? You say, hey, can I pray for you? Sure. Okay, just give me a, a range. Why do we ask for a scale of 1 to 10? Because we want to see, is there a way we can tell if you were healed? I've got stuff going on in my body right now that I wouldn't be able to tell if I was healed today because it doesn't, it doesn't come up every day. And so that's why we ask, would you be able to tell right now? We can still pray. We just want to know. Does this make sense? They'll say, yeah, so let's talk about the scoliosis healing the other night. So she's like, my neck is, what did she say, like uh, really high? Nine, 10? What did she say? Do you guys remember? She said an eight. Okay. Scale of one to ten, she's like, my neck is at an eight. Great. Let's lay. Can, can we lay hands on you? Yes, you can. Put our hands on them. Holy Spirit, would you come? This is what I prayed. Would you come? Would you manifest your healing over her? Lord, would you begin to move through us? I'm just asking. I'm cultivating the atmosphere. I'm getting my mindset to be believing her. I mean, to be believing God in that moment. Does that make sense? Because I know if I'm going to believe, I need to actually be believing in that moment. And so I'm, I'm asking the Lord, we're praying, we're praying, not necessarily praying for her healing, praying for the presence of God to become more evident in our lives, to us to become more aware of it. And then we just began to speak over her. We speak to this neck to be healed in the name of Jesus. We declare all pain to go. And then we just, we just pray what the Lord leads. If there's inflammation that God highlights, we pray for the inflammation to go. We just begin to speak to it, right? We give about a minute. Now, this might feel like too little of time. Remember my headache story? If I had given it a minute, I would have saved myself quite a bit of awkwardness. Because a lot of times God begins moving way faster than we're comfortable with. How many in our, on our Sunday mornings have you seen where somebody's already healed before we even get over to them to pray for them? Because God likes to heal people, guys. He enjoys it. It's fun for him. And so we begin to pray. And then we stop and we say, how's it going? I, we prayed a couple times for her. And sometimes people will say, it's gone. And I'll always ask them, 100% gone or like, better. And then the polite ones will say, well, it's better, <laughs> you know, or they'll be, they'll be honest about it. Anyways, a couple more times of prayer, totally healed. Now I say this, this simplistically because look, it's not actually rocket science. And, and everybody in the great commission, this is where I'm going to land, the great commission, when Jesus is saying, go and make disciples, preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick. You don't have to have a healing anointing to see a healing come through you. Okay? In fact, we all 
should have healings happening around us. This guy I was telling you about that with the leg story that came, he said, you know, what's funny is I, I, he said, you guys are looking at me like I have this great healing anointing because my healing anointing is a lot bigger than, than you guys in the room so far. He said, but where I come from, I have the smallest anointing of healing. My mind just could, I was like, what? What does it even mean? He goes, where I come from, people are seeing crazy stuff and I only see a little bit of it. And I say that because the gift of healing and the gift of miracles that are in the Bible are talking about people who it's like over and above. It's part of their calling. It's part of their assignment. It does not say it like that to say only some will ever heal. Every single one of us should be able to see a healing. Every single one of us should be able to lead people to the Lord. Amen? So if you're not doing that, ask God, give me opportunities, and then take the opportunities he gives. Okay, so... Grant emailed me the five steps. Thank you. Here they are. Interview. Got that one right. Prayer selection. Pretty much got that one right. Uh, This is basically choosing how you're going to pray. Going into the tool belt, deciding that. Uh, And then we actually pray. Step four, stop and re-interview. Step five, post prayer suggestions. So test it out, go back to the doctor, those types of things. You know, if somebody's, got, if somebody's on medication, I don't ever recommend them to stop taking medication. Your doctor will be able to tell if you're healed and don't need the medication again. You might just need to schedule an appointment. And it's okay. We live in Oklahoma. There's churches everywhere. It's okay to call your doctor and say, look, I had this radical encounter at a church. Would it be okay if I came back in and got this checked out? I know it's a little soon for my checkup, but could we do that? I would guess most of the time they're going to say sure. Or you can tell them, I'm thinking about stopping the medication. <laughs> then they're like, yeah, sure, yeah, come on in. All right, so here's what we're going to end. I know we've just got a few minutes left. Um, I, I, wanna, I want us to take time to just demonstrate this, okay? And this is where it gets awkward, and that's okay. I'm at this point in my life where I'm like, is life all awkward? Is that just what it is now? Because that's sometimes how it feels. So praise the Lord. Um, so is there anybody in the room that's like, man, I need the miracle worker to do something in my life? I'm telling you he's here. He told me yesterday he wants to heal some people. So just raise your hand. Okay, awesome. Anybody else? Okay. So here's what I want to do. Can we, Krista, why don't you spread out over here? We're going to take a few minutes. We're going to go through the five steps. You can go even just right here by Eli. It's fine. I don't want to exile you over there. (laughs) We're going to take a second and do the five steps, okay? And then we're going to pray for them. And, and then we're going to wrap up. We are going to do one last prayer thing at the end, so don't leave yet. But, um, okay, so raise your hands again if you would like prayer for something. Raise them high so everybody knows where you are. Okay. So if you want to see God heal, go gather around one of these people. And then the first step is interview. So I want you to just ask them, what do you want prayer for? Guys who are sharing, you don't have to go into your whole life story. You can keep it brief. So we've got one here, one here, one here, one over there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Cody, why don't you go over here, too? Yeah. All right, so again, you're just doing a quick interview. All right, so if you're in pain right now or you would have a way to tell, just go ahead and tell them. Scale of 1 to 10, this is where I'm at. 
And then we're going to just start to pray. So just ask the Father, Father, how do you want me to pray? And just begin to pray that. Don't forget to speak to the condition. So if you're not actually praying something, just keep asking the Father, what do you want me to pray? Okay, so now we're going to re-interview, so test it out. If there's something you can tell... Go ahead and test it out. Okay, so those of you guys that are getting prayed for, pause for a second. Raise your hand if you can feel the Holy Spirit doing something on your body. That might feel like heat, peace, tingling. It might feel like what? Cracking. Okay. That's one, I guess. Anybody else feel like the Holy Spirit's doing something on your body? Are you healed yet, Garland? At all? That's amazing. Come on. What was it at before? Whoa. And all the pain is gone? That's amazing. Come on. All right. Thank you, Jesus. You love it. That's right. All right. So anybody else feel like God's already moving in them yet? It's okay. You got to be honest. There's no point in in sugarcoating. Maybe. Maybe God is moving. Yeah. Okay. Great. I mean, yeah, we'll get there. Josh, how about you? Feel anything happening? It does feel better. Is 100% better yet? Okay. Okay, Garland, go pray for him. Share some of your knee knee anointing. All right. So let's pray for Candace one more time as well. If you guys are in your seats, just extend your hand to her. Thank you, Lord. 